0: Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8 30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek him and may he use this message to give you exactly what you need. Right, what a wonderful morning we've had so far. It is great to see so many people here. I have to tell you, I um, confess I took a picture uh, just a moment ago and Back over there and sent to Justin and said, Justin, who? (laughs) Uh, Once he wakes up, I'm expecting something like, Well, good job not messing things up as much as I thought you would, you know, or something like that. Uh, But you, I just, I tell you, I just love Justin and Jennifer and the great work they did preparing you for this and pointing you in the right direction. And I love what's happening in this church, you know early on i i said that um, i was praying i was hoping others were as well i think you are that during this time during this year you know with COVID and a a temp as a preacher um, that this church would actually thrive Uh, and there are a lot of churches that are i'm not sure they're going to make it through this past year and this church really is thriving and it's uh, so good to see more and more coming back i really want you to become not just an attender, but really participate in the life of the body. And um, you and others can help you figure out how to do that. But just keep praying. Just keep praying. Pray for the, the leaders of this church and for so many who serve in, in many ways. Pray for the search for the next preacher. And just, uh, just watch what God does. And just get on that wave and ride it out. And it's going to be, I think, very, very exciting. Well, we are uh, continuing on this week and one more on the, the idea of repentance, which we're calling alignment, aligning our lives with the, the will of God. And I want to um, just remind you again of how we are approaching this. It is not about just making sure we're doing all the right things, you know, getting all our behavior uh, in, in line. But really, the way we're approaching this is that repentance is a change of mind That leads to a change of behavior and so it starts on the inside and that's the way that we we've been going about this we don't want repentance to be just a matter of lining up and getting all the rules uh, you know checking off all the boxes so God doesn't get mad at me Uh, just kind of staying out of trouble that's not what repentance is it's something going on inside that produces something on the outside and to help us as we continue along this this journey I want us to spend some time in the book of Galatians this morning uh, Galatians is a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to Galatia. That was a city uh, about the year forty-nine or fifty. So only really about uh, about twenty years after Jesus has ascended into heaven, and uh, Paul had gone there earlier and had introduced Jesus to that those people and this church formed. And now he's he's gone off, uh, but has encountered some problems or they've encountered some problems, and this seems to be fairly typical of, of what was going on in that time. There was a group of, of Jewish men uh, that are sometimes referred to as Judaizers, uh, and what they would do is they would come along after Paul had been to a certain city, um, and they, they would kind of give what they viewed as the rest of the story. They would tell people that, you know, it's, it's okay. These are Gentiles who have become Christians, they would tell them, it's, it's okay for you to follow Jesus. That's, that's good. He was a good teacher, maybe they would think. He was a good prophet. It's okay to follow Jesus, but you also need to keep the law of Moses. And so the, what they would tell them is that you need to keep the ceremonial laws, you need to be circumcised, uh, follow Jesus, but also keep the law. And so um, Paul goes into a great deal of effort in several of his letters, but especially the church to Galatia, church in Galatia, to kind of correct that and help them see what was wrong with that. And the reason I want us to spend some time in Galatians this morning is I think that what Paul says about their situation really uh, needs to inform us as we think about repentance. And I think there's some, there's some similarities. What he says to them really mer- mirrors uh, what what we might go through sometimes as we talk about repentance. I think you'll see what I mean as we as we go through this. We're going to, and I love the way Paul begins in verse 4 of the first chapter. This, this is the gospel message in a verse. He said that Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. That's it right there. If you want to know what it means to be a Christian, that's kind of the bottom line, that God had this plan to rescue us from this, this evil world. Um, and really what... What repentance is, is our attempt to reflect that rescue. That we have been rescued not just from the guilt of sin, but also from the practice of sin. And I think many times in our world, people are more interested in the first part of that than they are the second part. But we want to live lives that reflect we're, we're no longer a part of that world anymore. We've been rescued from that. And, and so repentance is, is how we show that. And then he, he goes on in chapter 2, and he talks about these these Judaizers. And he goes back a little bit because he's had earlier experience with them. In fact, very early in his ministry, he'd gone to Jerusalem to meet with the other apostles, and he encountered this same problem there. And there would be a council later on in Jerusalem, a very important council, that would kind of settle this question, the question being if. If someone wants to become a Christian, if they want to be a Christ follower, do they also have to be circumcised? Uh, in other words, kind of like what these guys are saying, do they need to keep the law of Moses? And so Paul, Paul talks about that. So he says, even that question uh, came up only because of some so-called Christians there, false ones really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away <clears throat> the, the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations, but we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. And so Paul was concerned that those uh, who were following him around were actually going to take away the freedom that someone had in Christ. You've been set free from a certain life, Enjoy that freedom, and so Paul was concerned about them being uh, subjected to enslavement of, of Jewish regulations. Now, what does it have to do with us? Because I don't think really there are probably many of us who are who are tempted to follow the law of Moses. That's probably not an issue for us. But I want you to listen to how uh, what, what Paul says about this problem with trying to follow the law of Moses and and the way that we sometimes might approach repentance. Here's here's his solution to, to what was going on there. He said in verse 16, We know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. And he comes back to this same idea in in chapter three, where he's kind of getting a little bit passionate about it as this letter goes on. He says, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you that you would think things like that? And so now he says, after starting your Christian lives in the spirit, are you now trying to become perfect by your your own human effort? Are you trying to become perfect by your own human effort? I want to be sure that we understand that the law of Moses and repentance are not the same thing. The law of Moses was a way of dealing with God, interacting with God. It was made obsolete by what Jesus did. Uh, Repentance is very much a a part of the gospel message. It's not obsolete. But here's here's the problem that I, I, I think can happen sometimes. That repentance can become another law. Uh, repentance can really be about these human regulations. And so there is an approach to God that says, we need to live a certain way. We need to perform a certain way. We need to have you know, all the things that we do right and the things that we don't do wrong so that we can be righteous before God. In other words, we've, we've, we're kind of keeping the rules and that is what we are counting on for our salvation. And when we, when, when we morph into that, that's, that's really kind of another law, isn't it? For them, it was the law of Moses. For us, there, there can be such a thing as a law of repentance. And I don't want to replace one law with another law. And so, you know, is, is that a big deal? I mean, does it really matter as long as we're doing the right things? Does it matter as much why we're doing them? You know, the important thing is just do, do the right thing. Well, in this case, it is. It's a very big deal. And, and here's why. In chapter 5 as he's getting ready to wrap up this letter, uh, Paul Paul says so so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. And if 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 Jesus has given us this freedom, we can breathe <laughs> and we can we can enjoy life in him. He says, "Do you really want an approach that's going to be focused on regulations and, and you know kind of getting things right. And he likens that to slavery. But you know, No one in his or her right mind would choose an approach to God that would be typified as slavery. Slavery to a bunch of, a bunch of rules. And so Paul says, you don't, you don't want to go that way. That's, that's unfulfilling. And it's really untenable that someone could maintain that for a lifetime. It's very frustrating, as maybe some of us can say. So that's one reason why... We don't want to replace one law with another. But here's a reason I think that's even more important, that same section. He says, if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. Now, for many years, when I would hear that expression, that someone has fallen from grace, the way it was usually described was to... Uh, talk about someone who has left the faith, left the church, left God, and gone back into the world. They've fallen from grace. Did you ever, did you ever hear that expression? Someone has fallen from grace. That's not how Paul uses it. For, for Paul, it wasn't someone who was going back into the world. For, for Paul, to fall from grace means that one is dependent upon a works-based approach to God rather than a grace-based approach to God. That's what it means to fall from grace. You've kind of left grace behind and now your relationship with God is just dependent upon, uh, upon doing the right works. And Paul comes down really hard on that in this letter and other letters as well. And he, he refers to those who would advocate this, this works-based approach to God as being enemies of the gospel. You know, we saw the heart of the gospel message in verse 4 was God set you free. And, and for, so for folks who are trying to take that away, well, yeah, he's t- set you free, but you know, there's this, all these things you've got to do. There's this list. There's, you know, repent of this, repent of that, change this. If, if that's what we're doing so that God will love us, Paul says you're an enemy of the gospel. That's how important this is to him. And so I, I don't want to go down any path where repentance becomes a law. I don't, I, You know, we're talking about aligning our lives with the will of God. That's what repentance is. I don't want to go in, in any version of that where we get to the point where that might become a law. I, you know, some of you who, who go back a ways will remember back in the 70s and 80s what was referred to as the Crossroads Movement. And it uh, uh, you know, kind of came out of the University of Florida. And uh, when I was a student at the University of Kentucky, we were a part of that. And I experienced that firsthand. And it was... I mean, a lot of great things happening, but man, it was—they were happening because they were so rule-oriented. Where you know, if you're not reading your Bible every day, you're living in sin. You know, just all the all these rules, and and then that, that kind of morphed into what was referred to as the Boston movement and uh, the discipleship movement and the International Church of Christ. and Again, maybe some of you um, know something about those things. And I remember when I was actually preaching in Tallahassee, Florida, visiting with Chuck Lucas, who. Uh, was the kind of the driving force behind all that we had lunch together one day, and I, I said, You know, I would, I would love to be a church that that 's doing the sorts of things you folks were doing, but still uh, but were, could be more grace oriented and I remember him saying that, Well, I would take issue with anyone who says we weren 't grace oriented. I knew a lot of people who were pretty messed up. Because they were unable to follow the rules, they just—they tried to keep all the rules and they couldn't do it. And they just—you know—they would—they would just kind of lose their faith altogether because of this this approach that was just so driven by getting it right, getting it right, doing all the things the right way. And so, here, here's the question that I think we're kind of driven to in all this: How do you how do we take repentance seriously without making it another law? That, I think, is the challenge that we have. When you're talking about repentance, how do you take repentance seriously? How I live does matter without making it another law that uh, just kind of uh, enslaves us. Well, in the middle of this letter, Paul talks about what he most wanted to see happen with the church in Galatia. And I think this this is the answer to that dilemma that we're talking about this morning. In chapter 4, and verse 19, Paul, and he's getting pretty passionate here. He says, oh, my dear children. He talks about how he's agonized over this. My dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. And this is my past at Mother's Day. (laughs) This is my Mother's Day sermon. Um, uh, I, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. And they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. Now, that last phrase is... That's, hold on to that one, okay? Until Christ is fully developed in your lives. I love the word that that Paul uses here when he was writing this in his language, the Greek language. Uh, It is the only place that this word is found in the Bible. This one time, and it's right here in Galatians 4, 19. There are times, though, in other Greek literature where it's used to describe, for example, an embryo that is being shaped in its mother's womb. And maybe that's kind of what Paul was playing off of when he talked about going through labor pains again, just kind of uh, that whole imagery of, of a child being shaped and being born. There are other places in Greek literature where the word is interpreted or is um, uh, uh, is used in the context of a of an artist who is creating something specifically of a sculptor who is... Uh, Shaping something in clay or in stone. Uh, And that's that's kind of what Paul is is drawing on. Um, Until Christ is fully developed in you or until He has fully shaped you. Just like an artist would shape a sculpture, that's what Christ is doing to you. So that, that really is what repentance is all about. It is not about God coming up with a bunch of rules to keep us out of jail. It is God working and, and, and working in us and through us and among us in such a way that he is reshaping us so that we look more and more like Jesus. Um, he is sculpting us to look like him. There is a, a, uh, a, a phrase um, that was attributed to Michelangelo uh, many years ago Historians say he probably really didn't say this, and I kind of hate that about historians to take away all the good stuff, you know. Uh, but, but the way this story goes was that after Michelangelo had finished the, uh, the sculpture of, of David, this you know, beautiful work of art, that the, the Pope saw it and just marveled at it. And uh, as the story goes, the, the Pope says, how, did, how could you do something like this? How did, how did you create this? And Michelangelo's response was supposed to have been, uh, well, it's really pretty simple. I just, I just cut away everything that didn't look like David. And that was, that was how he made this beautiful creation. He just cut away everything that didn't look like, like David. Well, I think that's what God is trying to do to us. He is trying to cut away everything that doesn't look like Jesus. And so Jesus is, in a sense, a model for us. And so... God's looking at, at Jesus, and He's looking at you. And well, I, here's what I see in Jesus, and you know, that doesn't look quite like Him, so that, that needs to be cut away. That needs to be chiseled out. That needs to change somehow. That needs to come out. And that process of, of being changed and reshaped is what we call repentance. It is those things that aren't in alignment with God's will for us, or that don't look like Jesus, Those things are being removed. We are being reshaped. And that's that's what repentance really is. I I love how the Bible tells us about the mistakes that people in the Bible made. Which kind of lends more credibility to it, to me, in my way of thinking anyway. You know, if somebody is writing this or is making this up, are they really going to tell us about Abraham? Who, you know, tell us the good things about Abraham, but... Will they really tell us about the time that Abraham lied about his wife and said he was her sister and gave her to the king in order to protect his own life? And not just once, but twice? Are they going to tell us about the time uh, that Moses killed an Egyptian? Are, are they going to tell us about uh, you know, all the other mistakes that this great leader made? You know, I, I, a few years ago, I heard someone describing, uh, talking about someone else and said that this person had committed the sin of David. And I had not heard that before, but I knew right away what he was talking about. This person had committed adultery and referred to it as the sin of David. How would you like a sin to be named after you? You know, that when people think of that sin, they think of your name. And that's, that's, that's kind of what happens with David, right? Everyone, if you know much about his story at all, you know his sin with Bathsheba. And you know some other things that he did where he really messed up. But yet here's this guy that the Bible refers to as a man after God's own heart. And so he's not he's not known by his mistakes. He he's known by the part of him that was very much like God. And so in the New Testament we're we're told about Thomas's doubt, and we're told about Peter's denial of Jesus. We're told about James and John who you remember their nickname? They were called the sons of what? Thunder. We maybe heard a little bit of that last night. James and John, the sons of thunder, uh, which suggests they were kind of you know fiery, you know loud, um, loud guys. And that nickname, you you might think that the other disciples gave that to them, uh, you know kind of guys kidding around, but it wasn't. It was Jesus. Jesus was the one who gave them that nickname. Maybe because of things like what happened in Luke nine, where they're, they're on their way to Jerusalem. They're just about to head toward Jerusalem, and they send word <clears throat> to a Samaritan village. And the Samaritans, you know, they don't like Jews, and Jews don't like Samaritans. And so they say, We don't want him here. Don't, don't bring him here. Um, and so they, they didn't go. And I, it's almost kind of humorous to me what happens where when, when James and John hear about that, they say, Hey, Jesus. You, you want us to call down fire from heaven and burn them up? <laughs> now, first of all, that's a little bit beyond their skill set, I think, at this point. You know, I mean, they've been hanging with Jesus for a few days here. They've, they've experienced a few things. And I'm not sure it's, it's on their resume to be able to call fire down from heaven to consume a village. But what, what is really amazing about that to me, though, is that you know, they're, they're willing to go all Mount Vesuvius on an entire village simply because they didn't welcome jesus they didn't attack them Uh, uh, the, the samaritans didn't you know throw rocks at them they they didn't steal from them all they said was you're not welcome here and so james and john say well let's just call down fire from heaven and and wipe out this entire village men women and children let's just wipe them all off the face of the earth sons of thunder kind of kind of fit didn't it later on in his life John would have another nickname, the Apostle of Love, the Apostle of Love. And we, that song we sang a moment ago about God is love, you know where that came from? One of John's letters, 1 John. Uh, and, all, and that's just kind of what he was known for. And there's another story, again, maybe historians would, would kind of call this into question. It was told by Jerome in the 4th century, that late in his life, and again, I don't know if this is true, but it certainly fits John. That late in his life he was he was so old that he couldn't even walk anymore and so they would they would pick him up and carry him into church and every time when they would come in he would say the same thing he would say little children he was talking to everybody he would say little children love one another that's what he would say every time just little children let us love one another which is again what we were just singing in that song and as the story goes Someone asked him, well, why do you say the same thing every week? Say something else, you know. Why do you say the same thing? And John was reported to have said, well, because if we do this one thing, it is enough. It is enough. So he has gone from a son of thunder who wants to wipe out a village who has rejected Jesus to the one who is now known for this message of love. I'm glad Jesus didn't give up on John. I'm glad John didn't give up on John. And so, so as you look at these people in, in Scripture, what, what viewing repentance as an act of grace does, rather than a law, rather than a new set of rules, is I, I just think it helps us ease up on ourselves a little bit um, and not, not be so hard on ourselves. Because if you're, if you're trying to keep this list of rules, and again, maybe you've, you've tried that at some point in your life, it'll just wear you out. It'll absolutely wear you out. And that's that we're losing the freedom that Paul says Jesus came to give us. So it doesn't mean we aren't concerned about repentance, but it just it means that we kind of ease up on ourselves a little bit. You know, to my, to my dying day, I want God to be reshaping me so that I look more like Jesus. I've got to tell you, there are lots of days I don't. There are lots of times in my life where I don't look like Him. Now, I, I think as we mature in Christ, as we get older, um, as we walk with Him, we get better at that. And there are maybe, hopefully, fewer times where we don't look like Jesus, but I, we're never, never going to arrive. But my, my point is that God is not giving us another set of rules. God's not giving us another law. God God doesn't give us a set of rules. He gives us Jesus. And that's really what repentance is all about. It is aligning our lives in ways that we're not like Him so that we look more like Him. And so He is inviting us to experience that. He is inviting us to make those shifts internally. Repentance is a change of mind, change of heart that leads to a change of behavior, make those internal changes so that we look more like Him and it expresses itself. And what, a, what an act of kindness that is. What a, what a great blessing that is that for people who... We want, to, we want to be close to God. We want to be in His kingdom. We want to have a relationship with Him. God says, all right, here's how you do it. It's not, all right, here's a checklist, and here's a checklist, and here's a checklist, and get all those right and we're good. Oh, no, it's, here's Jesus. Here's Jesus. He set you free from guilt of sin. And he also wants to set you free from the practice of sin. A couple years ago, maybe maybe four or five years ago, my middle granddaughter was about four years old. And I got to witness something really, really cool. I was sitting next to her. We were actually at a hockey game. And I saw the very first time in her young life that Annabelle tasted cotton candy. Yeah, yeah. So picture someone who has been in a cave for 50 years, and then one day they decide to go out and watch the sunrise for the very first time. <laughs> That's just the way Annabelle's face looked. And I, I, I think of that when I think of a passage in 1 Peter chapter 2, where Peter is talking about how we should live, You know, here's some things you should get rid of, and he says, you know, we, we kind of do that because we have tasted... The kindness of Jesus. We have tasted the kindness of Jesus. And I think of, of what we have tasted in the same way that I think of what Annabelle tasted, how good it is. And we maybe lose sight of that. In fact, this week in your small group, you'll have a chance to share some ways that you have tasted the kindness of Jesus, some ways that he's, he's been good, good to you. Well, repentance is just becoming more like him. Uh, and it is experiencing more of this wonderful life that was given for us and just simply trying to become more like Him. And so I, the question I want to leave you with this morning is, is, is there a part of your life that doesn't look much like Jesus? That this great artist, God, wants to, wants to chip away. He, he wants to eliminate that part of your life and, and just keep shaping you, keep, shape, keep, keep working you so that you look more and more like His Son. God wants to set you free from a life that doesn't look like Jesus, uh, so that you can be shaped into that very best version of yourself, one that looks like him, and that's what we call repentance. Father, thank you for not giving up on us. Uh, Thank you for uh, just continuing to love when we we get uh, out of alignment with you, and we want to respond with that love, with our own love, and I'm thankful, Father, that uh, you, you love us enough to uh, welcome us into a kingdom where we can become more like Jesus. And I pray that when we see areas that need to be chipped away, areas where we need to realign our lives, uh, that we'll just depend upon your power to do that. Thank you for not giving us a set of rules. Thank you for giving us your son. In his name we pray, amen.